Hello, everybody, and welcome back at long last to the fully fledged Line of Vienna Suite podcast. My name is Tom Jenkins. This is Love Pod, episode 153, and we are delighted to be back and recording after some prolonged technical difficulties. I won't bore you with the details, but suffice to say, our very own James Jarvis is well equipped to tell you who not to go to for IT replacements in the Northwest. We are, of course, back in a ridiculous lockdown, but the footballing show goes on, and this coming Friday, we'll be welcoming not only Salford City to the Reebok Stadium, but also the Sky Sports cameras. We can only hope that they will leave Keith Andrews at home, God willing. In preparation for this game, though, and to discuss all the pressing Bolton Wanderers issues at the moment, spoiler alert, there's quite a lot, we have a bumper panel for you with Rhys Jones, Lee Tennant, Liam Amira, and for the first time in a long time, since episode eight, I think you said, Matt, we've got Matt Wood on at the show. So what very warm welcome to all of you guys. Looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty with you. Uh, the basic format of this podcast tonight will be a rip-off of one of our favourite article features, which is five things. Uh, this podcast will work in the same way. I've got five key issues that have been um, the most impactful on Wanderers season so far, and our panel will pick the bones out of them. Simple as that. So, first topic on the list, and I think if I were to give you an opportunity to guess at what it would be, you'd all be able to come up with a pretty accurate response. It is the pressing issue at Wanderers at the moment, Billy Krellin. I'm going to come to you, Matt, first, as it is your long-awaited return. Uh, basically, we think that Billy Krellin should be taken out of the limelight for his own good and for Bolton's good. I'm going to quickly just play devil's advocate. Is he totally to blame for the issues at the moment? Does he need more help from his defence? It's great to be back, first thing the first. But um, to be honest, I don't know if you can ever can fully blame a goalkeeper for goals conceded. But, I mean, he is making a a good job of sort of making it mostly his fault, to be honest. I mean, I had a quick look at the fixtures just since maybe since the Barrow fixture. And like when you actually look at the sheer amount that you can directly attribute to either him fluffing or his poor positioning, I mean, the corners have become a joke. I mean, it's, I, I, like you said, he, he needs to be taken out for his own good because we're potentially destroying his career because I can't see another team that will take him after us now, to be honest. I mean, what league team is going to take a punt on him next year? The only way I can see him getting back into first-team football is if Fleet would give him a go. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's much to be to be said in his defence, to be honest. It, I feel I feel sorry for him. Um, he's obviously got a confidence. I don't think it makes him a bad keeper. I just think he's uh, the demons have crept in and it's, there's probably no going back for him at Bolton Wonders, I don't think, unfortunately. It's strange, isn't it, though, mate, that we've seen him since the massive criticism he got in public off ever, him save two penalties, and yet we're still talking about how you know all the mistakes that he's made. Under normal circumstances, two consecutive penalty saves in consecutive games would, would sort of endear you more to the fans, but I think it's just a sign of how um, timid he's been that we're still not talking about that we're only focusing on the negative aspects of his game. I mean, on the penalties, I think... We, if we're all being brutally honest, there were two poor penalties. Um, I think we all kind of went along with the idea, this grand sort of, we just sort of not speak about it, but we just thought if we don't really mention that, then maybe the boosting confidence will sort of get him back to where we want him to be. But I mean, they, both, they were both sort of middle left, middle right. It was a case of guessing the right way. Both games, really, there were still mistakes from him. Like penalty saves, great. Yeah. And I'm not going to criticise him for saving him, but to be honest, it's it's nothing compared with the performances as a whole. No, fair enough. Reese, have we seen any positives from Krellin? Do you see any way back for him? Um, I think when we signed him at the start of the season, I thought I think I think it might have been Lee that mentioned it on the preview pod before the the season started. 
it was a massive risk signing a 20-year-old goalkeeper with only a handful of league league games under his belt with no clear backup. Um, I think if he'd been challenged week in, week out for that, that starting 11 place, we'll, we'd have seen a different kind of goalkeeper. I think the fact he's had no one there, I mean, we don't know what's going to go on with Jilks. Alexander clearly isn't ready yet. Um, I don't think that's what we're, the noise we're getting out of the club anyway. Um, Which is odd, though, because Ever did say earlier in the season that Alexander was his clear number two because he was on the bench for the first few games or so. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think once... I mean, I can't really remember Crowley having too much to do at the start of the season. I know, I know obviously, we, we lost, what, three in a row or something like that. But those three games, I can't remember him making too many mistakes. Um, and he seemed to be all right. I think we were quite impressed with his distribution and... And it was more the defence we were looking at as as the problem. And then as soon as we started going to seven outfielders on the bench, that's when I've noticed problems have crept in. And I think that might be because Crowley knows he's untouchable and he's not getting dropped. And I think we got that a bit last season with Remy Matthews as well. Yeah, the Remy Matthews situation was was obviously un- unprecedented because we were in the situation we couldn't really bring in that many people. And it's quite a hard sell on that last day splurge that... Um, uh, Keith Hill had to say to a goalkeeper, "Come in when you're pretty much guaranteed to never, never start." Um, but you're right. I think it's a very similar situation that Krellin has got. He's got zero competition, and as we saw with with loads of goalkeepers at top level, Joe Hart springs to mind. When there's no competition, it's very hard for your standards to keep up at the same level. Um, his competition, Lee, is is goalkeeping coach Matt Jilks, which I think Mark Ars has mentioned on his podcast. It's a very, very strange dynamic, given that the person who's trying to make you better seemingly is also the person trying to take the shirt off you. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, it's a really, really strange one, like you say. Um, 38, isn't he now, I think, Jill. So he's, you know, keeper can go until the early 40s. And God, what, how old was Kevin Poole when he packed him? But I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a strange one, but also it could, could have benefits in that, you know, they, they sort of, there won't be too much animosity if Jill does come in because they, they, you'd have thought they obviously get on well. You'd have thought the transfer... Well, the loan came about probably because of their relationship last year at um, at Fleetwood. So um, perhaps perhaps not so much an issue between them. More of a, I think it's more of a perceived issue from the outside than any any major problem internally. But really, um, he said Alexander, like he just referred to, uh, was it recently just referred to Alexander being the number two. Um, Everett said that himself, and you know he's not not putting him on the bench. It's a strange decision. It's not. That was a bigger, bigger issue for me. Is the keeper was decent, you know. There'd be an argument to be had for him. Colin should have been substituted in these last few games. Never mind injured or a, a red card. He, he should have probably gone off in these last few games for his performance. Never mind, you know, an injury. So I think it's it's a worrying situation all around, isn't it? And um, I think Corellian, it started. I think he was referring to the first few games of the season. He didn't seem to make many mistakes. I think the Forest Green one. He didn't really have a lot of chances. He scored that long range phase of cutter and that wasn't his fault and he went through a sea of legs and hit him at the post. I think it started in the second game against Colchester when Giovanni Brown was it Giovanni Brown who scored second goal for them and he was in no man's land. He just lobbed in. Baptiste was beaten to a long ball down the side and lobbed it over him. So That seems to be an issue with him, really. doesn't it, Krellin? That seems to be it's something just, that he does. He rushes making. out. He's rushing yeah. out and he's yeah. making just aerial, obviously, balls in corners. Set pieces. It's pretty much the worrying thing is he's been responsible for, for probably half a dozen goals. We would say maybe not completely 100% ones, but certainly a big part of the goal going in. 
And he's probably got away with double that. There's been loads of, of opportunities that the opposition have missed that we we don't gloss over, but we tend to forget because it's not resulting in a goal. And he, he actually got away with more than he's conceded, which is doubly worrying. But let's say we don't want to... It's been done to death, really, on, on comments online and, and everything. You know, it's we don't want to put the knife into the guy. He has got a good aspect. I think his throwing is very good. He's, he has got decent aspects to him. He has got a good reflexes. He saved a couple of really decent efforts against Newport from memory when we lost 2-0 at home to them. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got some good attributes. I'm surprised he's got off some, hasn't he? Else he would never have made it if if all if, if every aspect was poor. But he's really sort of struggling under the weight of of, uh, of his frailties. Um, aerial, it's mainly aerial. Let's be honest, isn't it? It's flapping at things and it's his decision making coming out as well. Um, like I say, he could be great in two or three years, but. It's not great that we've got to endure all his all his faults, but I suppose someone has to in a way. Um, but I just wish it wasn't us. Yeah, it's a transitional period, isn't it? I think we said in the chat that Billy Kraling could at some point become a very, very good goalkeeper because the shelf life of a goalkeeper is so long. At age 20, he's got at least 15 years left in him playing in a playing career. And we could look, and he could look back at this season as you know the, the year when he sort of flourished into becoming a much better goalkeeper. But as you said, we're, we're the ones who are suffering his, his jitters, as it were. I think it must be very difficult for a 20-year-old to impose yourself in, in, in League Two when there's so many big players around you, such direct styles of football. I mean, I'm 22 and I wouldn't fancy putting the gloves on in goal to try, to try my hand at you know jumping up and catching and getting in there and, and bossing around big centre-halves who are a lot more experienced than I am. So uh, no one's saying that it's a particularly easy situation for him at all. But for, I think we're at the stage, aren't we, where he's got to be taken out for his own good. The, 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 I'll come to you, Liam, on the on the point that we made in the chat the other day when we were looking at um, Billy Krellin and the season that he'd had for Fleetwood last last year. He'd only played about five or six games, but out of that, we managed to pull up what was it, five, six, seven clips of him making mistakes. And yet, this was the bloke who a guy at that club in Matt Gilks decided to recommend to his mate Ian Everett. It seems very strange that based on those performances, that was the uh, that was the way they decided to go. Well, strange if you consider the amount of money ball transfers are supposed to be doing, but another example of that not being the case. Um, mm-hmm. It's I just don't see what good it is keeping him in the team at the moment. The the and it, it I find it a very strange situation um, as to why Matt Gilks isn't ready to to play. That that I find that incredible. Really, it it's been this has been going on since the start of the season. This isn't a new problem. It's just confirming to the to the point where we're almost normally in this instance we'd all be taking shots at Billy Krellin here, but none of us have done that here because every one of us identifies that this is a young lad really struggling. Where's his protection here? It, it must be galling for him when he's just made a mistake that's cost us again. He looks at the bench. There's no one even there to come and help him to dig him out of the hole. Just just looks of people looking at him as if he's the problem. It must be a really lonely place for him right now. And I do worry for him. And I know a lot of people will easily say that, you know, this is the sort of thing that in the future he'll look back on and it made him stronger. I don't see any good coming out of this, to be honest, at the moment. He needs he needs to get out of that team for his own good. Um, it's a very strange situation. And I don't know really how we found ourselves in this. And I, 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 a penny for Alexander's thoughts as well during all this. How he, he can't even get on the bench with all this going on. Well, that's the odd thing, isn't it? If we were going to go down this route, 
why are we developing a player at another club instead of our own player who's shown promise? Because they're basically in the same situation. Yeah, they're a couple of years apart in, in age, but you know, it, it's the same kind of principle, isn't it? We're developing a young player. And also, if we're doing as much damage to Billy Craylon, we could be doing the same damage to Alexander. But I'd sooner us be any kind of benefits that would come out of the situation, they'd be passed on to our own goalkeeper, not somebody else's. I don't see why Alexander's not featured in cup games either. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't understand how Craylon's played every minute of every game. I've, it, it's fascinating that we have such a determined number one. I, I don't know many clubs where the number one is that set in stone. That 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 ours is, well, and it's, it's a twenty-year-old. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it? it never works anywhere else. Exactly, and I, I just—it's just the amount of the more you think about the f- different things, not just Krellin's performances, but the different things that have led to this. It's just a—it's just an extraordinary circumstance. I mean, we, we're coming to the game on Friday where I'd say ninety-five percent of other clubs will be dropping their goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. We've now got the choice between a. A 17-year-old goal. Is he 17 still, Alexander? 18? Um, no, I think he might be 18 now. Okay. I think he was so, 17 in the Crawford game, I think. He wasn't featured at all this season. Um, and we've also got a goalkeeper who essentially was semi-retired, I would say. I think that's fair to say. Absolutely. And one that is in an atrocious form. And I can only really... The, the, incredibly, the, the only thing you can do is still play Krellin, I think. And, and is, I just is, think that, is that what you do? Would you keep him in? I mean, is Matt Gilks ready? Is he ready? I mean, it, it doesn't sound like he is. I, I don't know. I, I just, I find it, I find it a very, very incredible situation. Well, um, the thing, the thing is, I think you're right because Gilks can't be ready, ready because as a goalkeeping coach, who's then coaching you to get, make you ready to then play in the first team? It's, <laughs> it's just, it's silly, isn't it? I, I, I don't know. Um, it's not, like, I would it's not like Fred Barber was ever going to pick up the gloves, is it? That's the point. No, no. I, I, the only thing I would do is I, 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 they must think Alexander's not ready. Okay, Alexander's not ready. So then it's between Krellin and Gilks. And if Gilks isn't fit, then what do you do? You have to play him. And then Sky's there on Friday. All this attention, no doubt the build up will be talking about the comments that Ian Everett made a month ago. It's just, it, it's a tough situation, that. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I, th- I think we're all agreed on that. But what, what I don't think we're necessarily agreed on is whether it, the right decision is to take him out. Just go, going around you boys, Matt, do you think, I mean, I think we've already established that we think he should be taken out, but do you think Everett's going to make that decision? Um, I don't think he will, to be honest. And it's one of the points, I think, because we're going to speak about Everett later, but I think one of Everett's biggest problems at the moment is he's, he's far too prideful. Um, he doesn't like to admit when he's made a mistake. Um, we can see it with other players he's doing, but on, to to keep going back to the Krellin thing, I don't think he will because I think he'll have known it was a gamble, and he probably wanted the kudos of you know spotting this sort of diamond from nowhere who hadn't played much league football, and he's come to Bolton and done all these great things, and I I think he still thinks it can work, and I think by the fact he sort of went on about it's not just Krellin at the Crew game that was responsible for those goals. When quite clearly, you know, one of the one shots went straight through him. You know, um, I, I, I've got to think that Everett will keep him in goal, even though I would personally take a punt on Alexander because you know we've seen he can get a clean sheet last year, even if it was a bit of a one-off game. 
I don't think there's anything to lose from putting Alexander in at this point. I, I think we've, we've sort of backed ourselves into a corner to the point where we, we need to make that decision because um, Liam pointed out there and I have to admit that I didn't actually think about it with the added pressure of Sky being there given the, the lack of confidence that Cronin is currently playing with. It could be an absolute nightmare for the kid, especially with players like Henderson and whatever in and around him. Um, Reese, would you think Everett's going to make the call to get rid of him? Um, I completely agree with what Matt's just said. I think I personally would take a punt on Alexander. I mean, I can't remember who it was that said it. I think it might have been Tobias Phoenix said, we want to be developing our own players and not other clubs. Now, we're not doing that. that. We've not done none of that. (laughs) No. Um, I mean, you look at the, the, probably the worst two performers in that crew game was, I mean, there's an argument for Liam Gordon, but Tom White and um, Krellin. Now, why couldn't Alexander play in the Cup? Well, we're never going to beat Crew. I mean, looking at the game on Saturday, there was a chance we could have done because two of their goals were horrendous. Um, but, yeah, Tom White wasn't, wasn't great either. Why couldn't someone... I mean, I know we've battered him in the past, but why couldn't Sonny Graham play? I mean, he's, he's another one. There's, there's Sonny Graham. There's, yeah, there's Regan Riley. I mean, you've got Alexander, Graham and Senior who were all looked out as these ones are going to go on loan um with covid restrictions etc they've not happened um but they're sat there in the stands and they're not developing it's all well and good them them playing in, in training games and and training with the first team but like Everett said if they're not playing if they're not playing that match match day environment on a saturday there's there's not much point in training no, I don't think it's anywhere near the same. And Well, I also don't think it's the same going out and playing for Allerton Collieries, but I think they've got to get some football somewhere. Um, but rotting in the reserves, I don't think it's going to do them any benefit whatsoever, especially especially Senior, who I think has not necessarily deserved the shot in the first team, but I think has shown, shown enough that he should be playing Senior football, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, Lee, the last thing I th- think I'll say on this, and I'll come to you for it as well, is should we have been spending this week trying to get a free goalkeeper in? Do you think Everett will go down that route, given that Crellin doesn't actually take up a, a spot we worked out, didn't he? Yeah, excuse me. it seems that way, doesn't it, that we've, we've got a space in the squad for a free goalkeeper. And there's been a few few, uh, few keepers mentioned on our chat um, who may or may not fit the bill. Rob Elliott, who's apparently training at Great Gateshead and steps in for Newcastle on a number of occasions a couple of seasons ago in the Premier League. You know, So we can't, Kind of deteriorated that badly in two years that he wouldn't be an option. He's a northern lad. There's, there's, there's plenty of us I won't go into anymore. But um, the main thing I was just thinking when everyone was talking then was Alexander has not played a game this season in any any competition. He's Luke Hutchinson's the keeper for the under 18s. We have no under 23s. Um, Crelin has played every game um, in the uh, J. Oh, was that Johnson? Papa Johnson. It fell. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it matters <laughs> which sponsor you go for, mate. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But, you know, it could go through him all Johnson Pates and whatever you have. So um, he's not played a game in, apart from in training. I'm assuming, I'm assuming he, he actually goes in net in training, or does he? Does he just sort of have a, have a chill out on the side? I don't, I don't honestly know. It's bizarre. Um, how can Jilts? Is it Jilts or Gilts? I said Gilts a couple of times. I, I, I say Jilts, but that just might be because I'm southern. I think it's Jilts. Anyway, yeah, I just remember Liam was saying Giltz and Aston Cassid that the other week. Anyway, irrelevant. So basically, with, with, with Giltz, he's, he's 38. He, his last game was a year, just over a year ago. I believe it was September 19. And so we've got two guys who've not played for over a year. 
and they're the only options that we've got to replace our keeper. It's bordering on it's not just bordering on farcical, it is farcical. It's so short sighted, isn't it? It's um, I, I don't want to blow me on trumpet because a lot of us said it in that preview with Mark um, Isles in, in the you know, pre preseason preview, and I said he was the most important signing, not the best, the key signing, as in he will determine how we do. And he has not all right. If he never made, if he'd not made a mistake, we wouldn't suddenly be in the top three. We're not saying that we'd be. We might be a. We might be sort of five or six points better off, and we might well be, you know, twelfth in the table instead of twentieth. We don't. We don't know. But it's too hard to quantify. You know, you'd be here all day going through the stats and data analytics to, to work that out. But all we do know is he needs taking out the home line. But there's no way Everett's going to play any anyone who hasn't played for a year. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure I would either. But I wouldn't have let it get to that situation where. I've no, exactly. We're, we're, keepers, we're so backed in the wall, aren't we, at the moment? Two keepers who've not played for over a year. It's, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. But like you said, um, the proof will be in the pudding on, on Friday, and, and I've no doubt that it'll be Billy Kelly in that number one spot. And I've not got much doubt that he'll, he'll probably drop a Ricky and just got to hope it doesn't cost us too much. Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? Like I said, we've backed ourselves into a corner, rocking a hard place and all of that. Um, I think we all agree that Billy Kreller needs to be taken out of the firing line, not just for the team, but for his own good, because it can't be easy for him. But uh, until we sign somebody else, we don't really have any able backup. So it's a gamble that's not really paid off. And I think that kind of sums up a lot of Everett's tenure so far, which we'll get on to later in the podcast. But moving on to the, to the second topic that I had, I've entitled it Midfield Chopping and Changing. I think this is... One been one of the more uh, spoken about issues in the last couple of weeks when we've decided that the three five two doesn't work, or in some quarters and others think that we pigeonhole ourselves to the fact that we need to play that formation. Liam, I'm going to come to you with a pretty basic question: Do we need to play with a midfield trio? Yeah, because of the players that we've signed. That the one thing that is assured is how we'll set up. Any team can plan for how we're going to set up because we essentially doubled up in every position. So we don't have, I don't think, a two in defence that I could trust as two centre-halves, in my opinion. Um, I'm really pleased that Santos has kicked on, by the way. Uh, I was one of his biggest critics, and fair enough. You know, he's, he's come on miles, really. Probably our best player, strangely. Um, so, well done to agree. him. Um, so, yeah, I was wrong there. But in terms of the midfield three, yeah, I, I think we do, by the way that we're set up. And we don't now, I, I mean... I've not seen enough of his growth yet, and I'm assured that he is. But I'm not, I don't think we have many natural wingers, I would say, that would support having two in the middle. Um, Certainly not on the left-hand side. No, no one I think could play there. So, yeah, I think I think we do. And we seem to sort of go like for like a lot. It's either Comley or Tut. You know, it's Crawford or Darcy. And Sarsvich is, is playing every minute. And it, it seems that we go like for like, you know, almost like how I would set up a football manager team where I have my formation and I sign two players for every position and I play one team in the club and one team in the league. That's what I do. It's what probably most people do on there. And it feels like that's a little bit who we are at the moment. Yeah, I would agree. I would certainly agree that we need to play the trio because we've set ourselves up that way. Um, but it then also begs the question about the personnel in, in that trio. Matt, I'm going to come to you. I think probably it would be fair to say that the best performer that we've seen in um, in that midfield trio thus far has been Andy Tutt and yet we've probably seen the least of him. Yeah, and this has been the baffling thing about this really is that I think most people agree, you know, when he's come on, he's he's looked to go forward with his passing, with his running, you know, and we've been sort of used to calmly passing side comely pa- comely, comely, comely passing sideways 
backwards. Um, you know, for the first few games, we'd seen you know Tom White have a great debut and then go quickly downhill after that. And obviously, Sars wasn't looking great for the first few games either. And I think everyone was pretty chuffed um, that uh, you know Tut, who was a fairly under the radar signing, looked to be really good. And like I said, it's it just seems very strange that Ever is quite keen to drop him. Um, and it's um, it's I would sort of say maybe it's a case of fitness because he did come in a bit later than everyone else. But the fact Tom White can come straight back in after being out for a couple of weeks and then play two games on the trot tells me that Everett's not that asked about fitness. I mean, the fact that Sars is playing with a, a knackered back as well tells me that Tut's not in there because of fitness concerns. He's not in there because Everett doesn't rate him higher than others, which is crazy. I was going to ask you about that because that's the reason we've been given in the media, isn't it? That Andy Tut doesn't have the, the fit, fitness capability to be able to play that many games in a short space of time. And yet we have Alex Baptiste playing almost considerable. Well, I think you said in the chat, didn't you, Reese? six games in 19 days, something like that, age 34. I mean, it's, it's rather baffling that he, he picks and chooses who's got the fitness and who doesn't. Um, I'll come to you, though, Reese, on other options in that midfield area. We've seen a bit more of, of Ronan Darcy in the last couple of weeks. Has he done enough for you to, to warrant a place in that team? Where, where do you think he's probably best? I think is the follow-up question. Um, I think, I mean, in recent weeks, it's kind of he's kind of had to play, hasn't he? Because we've we've had no no attacking options. Um, obviously, we've only had the one striker really available, and we've been kind of playing Crawford and Darcy, um, sort of slightly behind him, as sort of a, a, a three, four, two, one kind of thing. Um, but there's not been my, any proper shape there really has no there, there hasn't been any shape whatsoever um, my my issue is and it's something I did want to bring up is Ali Crawford a luxury that we can't afford at the moment I know he's got is it six assists in all competitions which it is great but I mean he's played what 13 games it's when you put it like that it's, it's not the greatest for a player of his ability because um, on his day he could be head and shoulders the best player in this division. But we've just not seen it. We, it's all well and good doing it for a minute out of the 90, but for the other 89, he's, he's anonymous. And the, we're almost playing with 10 men. And, and in the mid, in the midfield where we're, we're pretty much overran every game, we're sort of two versus three every single time. So I think, I think Crawford would be better for a little while, just sort of until he can find that regular form, dropping to the bench and coming on as a fresh set of legs for the last half an hour and change the game because he has the ability to change the game. And the majority of the time he has done this season, it has been in that final final third of the game. I think so, so, the operate, yeah. I think he clashes with Sarsovic. I, th- I, think, I think it's more complicated than that. I think he actually does contribute in games, but I think Crawford's problem is, I think Sarsovic is the first name on the team sheet and they operate very similar areas of the pitch. Mm. Very different players, but operate in the same space. And I think they clash a little bit. Do you agree with that, Rich? Do you think that um, those two playing in the same team is counterproductive? I mean, I, th- I think it is, but I think when, like we've, we've talked about when Andy Tuck plays, he sort of re- relieves that issue because he's so defensive-minded and he does those simple things very well. It kind of allows Sarsovic and Crawford to be more attacking. But when... When we've got White or Comley in there, they're they're not as comfortable as Tut is. They're not as experienced as he is on in terms of just doing those simple things, grabbing the ball, playing it on. And I know 
Uh, but when he signed, everyone was talking about Conley's pass completion last season. But I'm pretty sure I could get 85% pass completion last season. When I'm, I'm, I mean, he's playing passes five yards and turning, turning into trouble most times. And it, you know, everyone, everyone moaned about Jason Lowe and Mister Mister Sideways. But God, I'd kill for Jason Lowe in this team. Really? Yeah, 100. percent oh. I think he's he was reliable. I mean, he, let's be let's be honest. He was never the type of player which was gonna set the world on fire. But right, <laughs> <laughs> so that, 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 that's that's the sort of like putting it mildly. And I think probably, I, I mean, I don't want to read your mind there, but I think what we were both thinking in that instance is Bol- Bolton are famous for having people who are underappreciated. If you know what I mean, you know, the people who go under the radar are the ones that we appreciate most. And I think the fact that Jason Lowe was given such a hard time at Bolton fans shows how poor a job he actually did. I don't... I don't have a major issue with Jason Lowe. I just don't look at it and think we're screaming for Jason Lowe. I understand the 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 sentiment. It's the sort of all action box to box, but I never really saw Jason Lowe as that personally. No, I, th- I think Conley is, it, and what he does at the moment is very similar to what Jason Lowe does, which is not an awful lot. Which I think is why he's been unceremoniously kicked out of the team. Which is another thing we can talk about. When it comes to Everett later on, the way that he has just decided who his favourites are and dropped the people who don't fall into that category, it's very Phil Parkinson-esque in, in that regard. Um, I'm sorry, sorry to have interrupted your, your train of thought there, Reese, with, with the Jason Lowe thing, but um, yeah, no, I, I literally had written down Crawford's inconsistency. Does he need to be in the team? I think if very, very quickly before we move on to, to somebody else, does he need to be in the team for you? Um, I don't think he needs to be. I think he needs to be an option. I think we'll see the best out of Crawford when he has Doyle. Uh, fully fit. I think when he has players like Isgrove, Delfonso and Doyle ahead of him on a regular basis who are going to be on that same wavelength. There's too many players in this team at the moment which which just aren't thinking the same thing. You know, we saw that pass uh, for Sarsevich's goal against uh, Mansfield. That was a ridiculous pass and a, an equally ridiculous run from Sarsevich to get on the end of that. There was probably one player in our in our team that day who could have made that run, and would have made that run. And it was Starsevich. Now, if you've got four players of that ability in front of you, Crawford's um, sort of effectiveness on games is gonna is gonna quadruple essentially because he's got more options. We saw the link up play being there with Delfonso at times, especially in that um, was it the uh, Cambridge game? I thought it was. I thought them two worked very well together. Um, the problem being, he just doesn't have enough attacking options ahead of him. When we get um, good wing backs, we'll see the best of Crawford. If I can interject, because he, he's not got pace, and he, you know, he, if he was, you know, better on the ball, he would be in a higher league. The fact that we haven't got the width doesn't give him the space, and the fact he doesn't have the space means that he will lose the ball like he's doing at the moment, and he doesn't get the space to ping in those great crosses we know he can. Yeah, absolutely. It would be a perfect moment for them to me to segue onto uh, my next section on wing-backs, but I think we need to discuss the midfield just a little bit more. Liam, I'm going to come to you. I've not forgotten about you, don't worry. Um, uh, Reese mentioned there about Sarsovic making the run for uh, Com- uh, not Comley, he would never play a pass like that, for Crawford's ball over the top. And it was your analogy right at the start of the season of calling him you know, League 2 Kevin Nolan. I think we're very much seeing that that is who he is, isn't it? He- he's the bloke who's not going to do an awful lot in terms of general play. You're not going to notice him for 90 minutes, but he is probably going to end up with 10 to 15 goals this season, I would say, if he stays fit. Yeah, he wants to, he wants to score. He, he, he wants his name in the, on, on the score sheet. He, he takes up positions of the pitch like a striker does. Um, it's quite a fascinating type of player, that. There are 
quite a few examples. I mean, Kevin Nolan's the easiest one for us to think of, but I often thought of sort of Van der Vaart was like that, wasn't he? You know, he always sort of around the striker a little bit. It's why it's why that Doyle's an interesting choice for him to do that with, you know, someone who essentially doesn't stay still, Doyle. He's all over the place. Um, but yeah, he's someone who should be getting on the end. But the problem with that is, is that that's when you said earlier about getting overrun in midfield, if you're getting Crawford taking the ball forward, looking for Sarsovic to be on the end of the ball, you've got two play, two midf- centre midfielders there operating the final third. So all of a sudden, it's not three in midfield, it's one. And and this is the issue. And it, this is why it seems that we, despite having three midfielders, I think we don't win the midfield battle an awful lot, in my opinion. Um, I always find our possession stats fascinating because I, it never feels like we're dominating games. But then you look and it's like 58, 59%. You think, where have we had the ball? Because it, it doesn't ever feel like we've controlled the game in midfield. And I think it, and I don't mind that type of player, by the way, Sarsic getting on the end of things. I, I, I like that. You know, that's it's a bit that's of a luxury, of, though, isn't it? Is my point. It works in a free if the other one isn't there as well, mm-hmm. I think. It's right. perfect, really. But the problem is. As much as Crawford can want to be your creative force, with the win backs, not because usually you would do it and have your wide players tucking in into the midfield to to cover it, but we don't have that because we're using wing backs. I, I don't know. I, I just it's just Crawford and Sarsvich. There's just that dynamic. I hope it, it could click. You know, it could be. It's still early, relatively, but it, it, for me, it's leaving us exposed in the middle. We get done on the break so much. We do for from our own errors. I would agree, Lee. Coming to you on the sort of the bit to close off this little uh, uh, section, let you have free reign with this one. Who is our best trio for you? Oh, good. I was just just saying. I was just um, doing a bit of research while everyone else was talking. Just looking at the midfield trio for you know the last sort of seven or eight games and who played in which game and. Sarsovic and Crawford all play together. They're undefeated apart from Leighton Orient, which was arguably the worst one of the lot. But would I say that the main issues in that game were the midfield trio? Probably not, because the game was over after 44 minutes and none of the goals were particularly the fault of the midfield pushing up too high or anything like that. It was just, well, we didn't concede the penalty, it was saved, but... um, Crap defending from Delaney to let uh, Brophy go past him for Johnson's opener and then two pinpoint free kicks. Okay, Crowing might have done better with positioning, but game's over at half time. Fourth goal doesn't matter. So, yeah, apart from that, we're unbeaten with a midfield trio of Tuts, Sarsfish, and Crawford. Um, I think that's the best balance at the moment. I think, I think we'd all agree Tuts, not miles ahead of White and Conley, but he's certainly more suitable and he certainly has a better understanding of the game than White has at this stage of his career. White's never played league football before this season. Um, Conley, when he's come on, he's looked, he's not done so bad, actually, when he's come on just to show things up. In, I think he came against Bradford and showed things up late on. And he, I don't think he's as bad as his early three or four games suggested. I, I don't believe he's that bad a player um, that those performances he put in would, would suggest. But Equally, I don't want to see him in the team anytime soon. So, yeah, so um, is he managing his minutes? Has there been a little fallout? Don't know. Um, he should be starting every game for me, but yeah, and whether he's able to or not, only Ian Everett knows. But Everett said in a part in an interview, I think with Mark Isles in the bottom of the news, um, that he found that Sarsovic was better further forward in the midfield. I think he said it a few, not that long ago, about three or four days ago. And he said that. Um, you know, he basically suggested that 
he's he's not the guy who's going to pick up the play and dictate the game. He's more of like I suggested a Kevin Nolan type player who'll get him get a goal for you. If he doesn't score, he might be a six out of ten. If he scores, he might be an eight out of ten. The goals, you know, invaluable, isn't it? So I think the midfield three, them three for now, definitely. Um, but it's a little bit worrying that I wouldn't, I don't have any confidence really, despite his, his what looked like a really quite decent debut from Tom White in terms of composure and, and sort of spreading the play against Forest Green. Since then, and since he's come back from his injury, he looks like he's regressing. He, look, he, just, he looks like bereft of confidence, which, let's be honest, the whole team does. And um, yeah, the midfield three, the balance is really important, but this formation lives and dies by its wing-backs. And Kyoto's regressed since his debut. Okay, he's not, he's not terrible. There's clearly a player there. But um, we've not got a left wing-back who we can put in there with any confidence. Um, Maskell and Gordon aren't up to it. Let's hope they can sort of switch flicks and, the, and the, the, either of them or both of them start to come good because, you know, players aren't rubbish. And Maskell played in, in a Wickham team filling in here and there, a team that got to the Championship. I've seen some of his clips. He's, he looks very competent, very quick, very direct. I've not really seen that so far, apart from his flashes, I think, in a game against uh, Grimsby, the home game. And, um, you know, the system lives and dies by the wing-backs. And at the moment, we've, we've not we've not recruited well enough in that, in that area. But that, that wasn't the question you asked me. That's my opinion on that anyway. No, it segues perfectly into my, my next section, which was uh, entitled Wingback Woes. I think you've summed up our issues really, really yeah, quite well. Yeah, but yeah. Think... <laughs> yeah exactly. It's all, it's all planned, isn't it? Um, I'll, I'll come to you, Matt, for, for, to sort of properly begin the, the section. Uh, we've talked about Gordon and his lack of confidence, and yet he still seems to be the one who gets picked on the left-hand side over Maskell. Is, is Maskell that bad? I can't confess to have seen much of Maskell, to be honest. Um, they they did seem to to both kind of suffer with the the same issue for me, which was a sort of a lack of confidence going forward. I mean, I, I literally found myself screaming, and I can't remember which game it was the other week when Gordon came on, and he just had half a pitch to run into. And I mean, I'm six foot four with dodgy knees, and I run about the pace of a snail. But you know, I could have made a good fist to like run into the edge of the pitch. There and he just decided to check back and pass back. Um, I do think it's the main area where we are weak and the main area where we need to strengthen. Actually, like right back, we've got a, a sort of an embarrassment of riches almost with Kyoso, who granted hasn't looked as good in the, in the last couple of games, but I think that's more just to do with the players around him than himself. You know, Jack Hickman, who I think we all agreed looked pretty damn decent in the games he has played, and we've obviously got um, Gethin coming back, back soon. So like. I, to me, like January first, first priority is get either one of Gordon or or Maskell out and try and get a, another player in there. But like I said, I haven't seen enough of Maskell to really comment. But for me, Gordon's not even half the player he was in the preseason games, which is a shame because I, I had him down as the the key player this season, which is uh, looking like a bit of a misstep. Yeah, we we all said, didn't we, in, in that preview podcast that uh, there was interest from Wolves when he was at Dagenham and Redbridge, and everyone thought that he was, you know, one of these Peterborough signings that was going to be, um, you know, sold for loads and loads of money at some point after he really, really impressed with us. But the guy just looks like he's got absolutely no self belief whatsoever. And it's a little pet peeve of me. And I'm going to have a little bit of rant about it. When when Ryan Delaney receives the ball uh, from Santos or the goalkeeper, he receives it with his open body, so his left foot. And he's already away. It's not going backwards. It's not putting us into more trouble. Whenever I've ever seen Gordon receive the ball, it's with his back to goal. 
sorry, yeah, with, with, with his back to going forward, facing towards his defence, straight to his left foot to pass it straight back into trouble again. There's no thought to go forward. There's no open body position to receive it and then keep going, which means that the entire time we're basically playing with 10 men or playing a system where we can only attack down that right-hand side. And as we've said several times, this wing-back situation is killing us because in the 3-5-2, whatever formation you'd call it, it is the most important role. And I cannot understand for the life of me whatever is seeing that means that he has to continuously pick Gordon over Maskell. Because from what I've seen of him, I don't think he's anywhere near that bad. The Oldham um, goal aside, which was horrific defending. But um, I, I, I don't understand it at all. And I really do think that he, he needs to benefit from a loan in the lower leagues. Reece, we, we've discussed it on the chat before. But that seems to be the only way it can go. We can't continue with him in the team when he's basically letting us down consistently like this. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, he's a 21-year-old lad who, I mean, he's played, he's played I mean, I know Guyana, I know Brazil, but they're, they're still an international team. He's still done well to get, uh, I think it's five appearances for them. But he's gotten, he's got no confidence, has he? And I mean, it can't have done his confidence the world of good. The fact that a right-sided centre-half was seemingly miles ahead of him in the pecking order on his, in a left wing-back role. Which is insane, um, by the way. Like, we'll come to yeah, it later, I mean, but it is that's, insane. That's no disrespect to, to Brocky because I thought he did excellent and you know he could have probably scored three, four, five goals from that from that side, which is mental really. Um but yeah, I just think I think God I think there's a player in there for Gordon. I think he if he went to a, a Premier League club and joined their development squad, I mean it's that level of coaching, isn't it? I think he could really turn into a, a, a fantastic footballer. And an excellent wing back because he does have the attributes to make a very powerful left wing back. The problem is he's not going to get that level of coaching from Bolton Wanderers. No, he's not, and also I don't think he's going to get the right motivation skills from his manager based on what we've seen from from Everton thus far this season, which I think could well kill any confidence that he originally had. Um, you mentioned Jack Hickman uh, Lee. He is a very good crosser of the ball, or we thought that he was a, a decent crosser of the ball. Has he just been unceremoniously dropped, do you think, for no reason? I mean, Kyoso obviously started quite well, but is there an argument for maybe giving Hickman a shot at some point? Yeah, he certainly looked um, competent, didn't he, when he, when he played, I think, he started three games in a row. I um, can't remember exactly which games he started, but he certainly looked like he could deliver a ball well and he looked bright and he looked bright on the ball and didn't seem to make too many errors at the back, although he maybe considered a little bit lightweight, but no, I think, think Kyoso, what I've noticed for Kyoso is that he's, I, okay, I didn't watch the Barrow game, apparently obviously he scored a goal and he could have, should have had another one before half time with a, with a free header for me and he, you know, I'm sure he seemed like he played very well that game as well as his debut, um, debut against, was it Grimsby? It was a nil-nil, his debut. Or was it Oldham? Can't remember. But oh, um, I can't remember either, mate. The the the, the debut. Um, I should have been doing some more research on the phone then. Somewhere. Yeah, we should we should, um, we should have done a research then. <laughs> should have. Yeah, should have had some notes. But um, in relation to his to Kyo, so yeah, I, I do think he's a I do think he's a good option at wing back. Uh, I, I do I do notice that when he's sort of one on one with a defender, um, his ability to go past the man with maybe a trick or drop of the shoulder or a little burst of pace. He has got the burst of pace, but he doesn't seem to be able to go past the man. I've noticed it maybe at least three or four times when, when I've been sort of instantly watching, instead of supping a beer, watching the game. Um, but I've actually watched him on the ball. I've, I've found that he's a little bit 
limited in, in going past the line, which is understandable. You know, he's not a winger, so fair enough. He's you know he's a right back. I guess he's probably played right back at Luton. I don't think they play um, a wing back system. Um, in well, I imagine the first team sort of mirrors the reserves. So you know he's obviously been been able to lead to reserve mainly, hasn't he? Until he joined us, apart from that one game against United. So you know he, he has got limitations, but um, I think Hickman's a good good deputy. Um, I would have liked to have seen him play on on Saturday against Crew. Uh, I didn't catch the game, but um, I would have. I would have, you know, I may well have paid for it. when I saw the team. I was debating when to pay for it. I thought, what's the point? I, I know what these guys can do. If I'd seen Taft on there, some, you know, Miller from the start, a few, a few others, um, you know, to, just to see how they got on, I would have been interested in maybe watching it. But I thought, I know what these guys can do, and great. So <laughs> I decided not to bother watching it. But uh, in relation to, like, say, Gordon as well, and the other wing backs, um, like I said on before, the, they're just, they're just no confidence, have they? I think Maskell's cameo against uh, Bradford when he got, uh, got ceremoniously bollocked by Baptiste and Santos fighting his man sort of just quite easily drift inside him and have the, uh, I think it was O'Connor, Anthony O'Connor had the shot just past the post. Um, it just looks like Maskell and Gordon and uh, Keogh so have to sort of a couple of really good games at the start of his uh, Bolton career, Keogh. So the, the oldest look a bit bereft of confidence and Brockbank was the one who was probably doing the best out of all of them. It's like, say, he's crazy when he's a right centre out. He should be playing instead of Baptiste. But to be fair to Everett, it was a mad choice playing him there. But he actually looked good. And he, his goal against Cambridge looked, looked onside. And he should have scored against um, Leighton Orient. Should have made it one off when he stooped to head it. And he really should have got it on. He really should have gone with his feet. Or like a half volley. Um but yeah, you know, he's going to be missing for a couple of months. So it's going to be Gordon or Maskell, left wing back, literally no other choice, surely not. And then it's going to be Kioso continuing the right. Well, whether whether Kioso could maybe switch to the left, but that would be a, that would be a kick in the balls to, to both Maskell and Gordon if they're going to, again, to someone else who's more of a right-sided player to fill in there again. It, it just shows a, a massive vote and no confidence for him, isn't it? So again, I've gone off on the tangent, but yeah, in relation to uh, the original question, yeah, Hickman... I think Kyoto's the right place to carry on with for now in the right wing back this um, position, but I'd have no problems with uh, with Hickman filling in if Kyoto maybe switches to the left. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I hadn't, hadn't thought of maybe Kyoto switching switching sides. Um, not necessarily sure it would be the right right move, but I think it, you know the masculine yeah. and Gordon have been poor so poor to the point that you, you'd be willing to try and everything as um, as Everett has done by putting Brock back there. And before before we move on, Liam, I'm just going to uh, let you have a bit of free reign on this one. Obviously, we we know that Gethin Jones is possibly coming back; could be available for uh, for the Salford game. Not necessarily sure he'd he'd walk straight into that team, but in the in the, in the wing back situation, as we know, we pigeonhole ourselves to the point that we have to play that system. Uh, is there anything do you think that we're doing wrong to get the best out of these people? Or do you just don't not think they're good enough players? No, I think it's confidence. To be honest, Tom, I think you you. Uh, mentioned it right when you were talking uh, about Gordon when he saw I, I know exactly the passage of play uh, we're discussing there I think it was about five minutes after coming on and he had about 20 yards of clear space ahead of him and it was almost as if he was frustrated to receive the ball with that space like it, the responsibility he didn't want it um, I, I think it's a confidence thing I, I was quite encouraged by pretty much every single report I heard about Gordon from pre-season was telling me that we had a real player um, someone who was charging down the wing, uh, unstoppable, you know, getting the ball in the box. And there have been little glimpses, particularly right at the start of the season, where he was really sort of charging down the wing. Um, I don't think it's an un- unrecoverable uh, 
situation. Um, he just needs to start playing, I think. I, I would put, show a bit more faith in Gordon, personally. That's probably where I disagree with most people. I would I would work on that. I think that's a good test for uh, Everts' management to, to get the best out of him. I think there is a good player in there. Um, I think it's in his head. I think what we all impressed us all about Brock Bank was that he seemed to sort of take the uh, bull by the horns. He got his opportunity. Someone who wanted a place in the team gets an opportunity and makes the most of it just by essentially standing up, puffing his chest out, looking forward with the ball. And it looked like a, a breath of fresh air, but it, w- it was essentially someone just gr- grasping at the chance they were given. I think um, a bit of motivation and some good man management, I think we'll yet to see the best out of Garden, personally. Nice and interesting view. I, I, I think there is an argument for letting players play themselves into form, certainly. Um, I, I just, you know, wonder how much of a confidence shot, it, uh, sorry, how much uh, his confidence would have been shot by the fact that Brock Bank was picked over him to play in that left wing back role and whether it's sort of irrevocable because I don't think we've seen an awful lot so far that Ian Everett's got the best man management skills. So uh, it's, it's one of those where I'm not sure he's necessarily going to be able to talk Gordon into playing well. Maybe he just needs to be part of a team that's being a bit more successful to, to get a bit of confidence back. Um, but certainly I think we've we've agreed that on the right-hand side, Kyoso, despite the fact that he looks a little bit like Leicester defensively, is going to continue there. So that will be that section covered. Although talking about Gordon and uh, the fact that we brought him in from Dagenham and Redbridge under the pretense possibly of being a similar Peterborough signing with a view to selling him on for big money, uh, the money ball thing, Liam, so I'll let you have a bit of a free reign again with this. The next topic that we're going to come on to is Tobias Phoenix, who... It seems odd to be discussing him on the podcast. I don't really think we've mentioned him much before, but it was only in the recent weeks that he's sort of come under fire for not just you know poor recruitment, but I think it came to light how awful Bolton's record has been since uh, since he came into the job. Do, do you think there's any kind of merit in levying accusations at Tobias Phoenix to be responsible for what's gone on at the club, Liam? Um, it's impossible to say there isn't any to, to kick off with. You couldn't say that recruitment hasn't played a part in it. Um, a, a debate in pretty much every every sport going is what's more important, effective recruitment or effective management, and it lends itself to that really. And uh, do I hold him uh, sort of responsible for the start of the season? Not fully, if I'm if I'm being honest. I think we've made some some good signs. I think we have made some poor signs as well. I think you know there's a, I think there's an unbalance to our squad. Uh, I think we've got some sort of high performer, high earners next to some poor performer and lower earners in, in, in from outside looking in. I'm not obviously uh, privy to what people are earning, but it looks that way to me. Like we've got quite a disparity in terms of um, what people I think would, would be earning. Um, it's, it's a tough one because you don't know how these decisions have come about. How much Ian Everett has played a part in these decisions. Um, how much... Other people in the staff, you know, we've talked about two there. We've talked about um, or Jilks or Kilks sort of bringing in uh, Krellin, or we've, we, you know, we you would like to, you would appreciate that White is probably an Ian Everett signing. Um, so there's going to be an element of both, but there are mixed messages, and when you, it's probably not a big deal really when you think about why we're signing players. Is it money ball? Is it the scientific approach? Or is it about knowing a player and knowing what they can bring? There's merits on both sides. And I'm not sitting here saying there's a right or a wrong way. But it's just what we're doing is not what we said we were doing. And things like that bother me a little bit. You know, we're saying that we're bringing in players on the scientific approach. I'm not... Which player player would you say was a scientific signing? We signed the League League 2 top goal scorer. 
we signed one of the players of the year. And then from there, it's sort of players that I think would be more on Everett's radar from being a National League manager. Well, that was going to be my follow-up question to you about how much influence do you think Everett has had in this recruitment or do we think most of it has been Tobias Phoenix? Because, for example, I would say you could pick out who would be Everett signing. For example, I don't think Tobias Phoenix would have gone for the likes of Nathan Delfonso. Everett, I think, would have gone for him given that they knew each other previously. And I would argue that he's been one of our more successful ones, if not the most successful one, alongside Santos. But then there's another, as you say, Santos could well have been an Everett one because he was a National League player. He was a National League manager. Do, do, you, do you think that there is an equality between the two in terms of recruitment or one's taking charge over the other? I think it's impossible to know. And you would if, like... you were to, if you were to guess then, maybe. If I was to guess, I would say that I think Everett will have quite a bit of say based on the team that we've made, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that Tobias Phoenix will have um, the final say. And then maybe... And I imagine there are quite a few incidences where... We've not maybe gone after a player that Ian Everett would want and we've provided a suitable replacement. Um, that's that's the scientific approach where you'll draft three or four or five um, options in certain types of players and positions and you would then look at the stats. But it seems to me like we've gone after quite a few players that I think would be more on the terms of typical football scouting where you have an idea of bringing in a player and you go and bring them in rather than anything else. So I would say Everett's had quite a bit of say, yeah. Fair enough. That, that, that obviously doesn't seem to be what most people think, which I think is why Tobias Phoenix has come in for so much criticism. It's natural. Level that poor yeah, recruitment, haven't they? It's natural for that position to get stick. There's very few people in football that hold that position that don't come under criticism when teams start losing it. it Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the nature of it. It's an easy criticism because they're not what you would put in inverted commas, football people. So it's an easy criticism to make. And, you know, especially for a town like ours, which is so wrapped up in what goes on at Man United and every single problem that's ever happened at that club is down to Ed Woodward and him alone. It's understandable that now Bolton Wanderers have a name of someone who, even though he doesn't, in their eyes, fills that space, that he becomes maligned because... It's just such a soft target, I think. No, no I, I would agree with you. No, nobody likes the director of football, really. Matt, I'll come to you and I'll ask you about directors of football. Firstly, do you think we need one? And secondly, do you think it makes the manager's job harder or easier? Um, 100% think we need one. Um, it was actually in my sort of line of Vienna hiatus. I think I did about one article in about a year. And the article was essentially just saying that we did need a director of football to prevent the the wholesale changes that we had seen at the club every two or three years since Big Sam left. You know, we kept having new manager, new style with that new players and the old players were no longer needed. And, and that was part of why we spiralled down the way we did. You know, we we never we never had a continuation of 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 sort of the footballing and the tactics and the and the style of players. So we just constantly were starting from from scratch. So I 100% think we need a director of football. Um, I think 
everyone will agree that no one really knew who Tobias Phoenix was when he was appointed. It was certainly, you know, unless you're sort of a, a diehard, you know, football fan and sort of followed, was it Macclesfield or Mansfield? I forget which one he was at. Macclesfield. So, you know, Phoenix appointments off the bat was a bit strange. You know, I think obviously everyone's dream idea was someone like Big Sam coming, which was never going to happen. But, you know, there's there's plenty of of managers who've been around the leagues for years, been there, done that, know how to get promoted, who know hundreds of academy coaches who, you know, who would have been perfect for the role. And, you know, in hindsight, I, I do agree with Liam, actually, that we can't really say how much is his fault because we just, we don't know the inner workings between him and Everton and, and him and the board. But I think you can pick out several signings and say they're probably his, I think. And he's, it's probably where he's gone a bit nuts with the old football manager, you know, like Green, Greenridge, Greenidge. Um, again, Such an odd one, that, isn't it? So weird. It is so strange, you know, like, again, a player who I can't imagine was on anyone's radar in English football because he, he was playing, you know, in the lower leagues in Scandinavia, you know, it's, and that to me reeks of someone looking and saying, well, he's got a, he went to this club and he's got a good pace and he's a centre-back and he's tall, you know, it's the way I, I shop on Football Manager, you know, search by height and pace, you know, and you're bound to get some winners. It's a bit of FIFA, that modern Football Manager. <laughs> no, you should see my team, mate, they're, they're all six foot four. Um, but you, yeah, just want, you just want a team of clones for yourself, that's why. Basically, mate, yeah, I just like knocking it wide to the wings. Um but, it, you know, you look at, I think the problem was we didn't go with the spine of the team that we all thought we were crafting with Doyle, Sars, and then sort of we thought Taft was going to be another one down the middle and Krellen. You know, we didn't go far enough with that spine. We, we just hinged it on one player in, in the middle of the pitch in each position. And then we started filling it out with these sort of the Peterborough style signings we thought were going to be you know, money makers. But realistically, we should have been bulking our team out with more proven league players rather than these you know trying to be majestic no absolutely i'll come to you lee on this um before sort of finishing off with with our final uh with our final topic because i think we can sort of say that we don't know an awful lot about bias phoenix and, and the uh, the sort of inner workings at the club and what his role is but i think it's probably fair to ask you what you think his role should be oh wow that's just terrible um First of all, do you reckon if he didn't have such a ridiculous name that we'd probably uh, give him less stick? I'm not sure. I don't know. I think quite, I think anyone who's called Tobias, who doesn't refer to themselves by Toby, I think I think he's already asking for trouble. Just don't know if anyone watches um, Arrested Development or used to watch it, but uh, it just reminds me of the guy Matt. Who's, um, Great show. Niche, <laughs> niche reference, but well, someone might just put that. The, the guy in that's called Tobias, and he's a, he's a really bizarre character. Anyway. Uh, what's his role? Um, I, I'd like to think that him and Everett sit down in, and perhaps Sharon Brisson for the financials, sit down in the room and go through, ta- well, they, they would have gone through you know, the 20 targets they have signed and, and had frank discussions and, and Tobias Phoenix is still up and he was available. I know him from Macclesfield. He's clearly Phoenix. Well, I haven't said that. You know, Everett may well have seen him play. Um, I'm sorry, Macclesfield in League 2 last season was. So I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think he played whenever it was managing Barrow. Or, no, I don't think he did. So yeah, I think Nahua would more likely to be a Phoenix signing with the with the Maxfield link. And um, someone like him, let's say, you know, who is available? What what do you think of him? And you'll know, hear some clips of him, and and they make a decision. Go, yeah, he's probably better than 
a lot of the other free agents out there. He lives nearby, as uh, as Arthur obviously said in the interview, which is uh, always handy when you can drive up the uh, drive down the road to to training. So you know, it's, I'd like to think there's just a, a net, some sort of synergy between them that the you know Phoenix may come to Everton say, I know you're after a centre midfielder. I've got you know Andy Tutts was training with us, you know, earlier in the season. He's he's a He's said to me he's happy to sign. You know what do you think? And I, don't, I, I just hope that he. The, the idea of the director of football is to have like an overarching strategy, to have a, a almost a philosophy of your signings as to what they can't all every signing can't be can't fit in with the philosophy, philosophy because you've got to get players in, and sometimes you can't financially sign a player who's um, going to end up making you money, or the idea is you're going to make up and uh, making you money in the end. Realistically, um, Phoenix's job should be to oversee the recruitment of the uh, recruitment at the club, and you know have a have some sort of um, what's the word? You know, let's say synergy with with Ever on on who to bring in, um, and use his contacts to bring in players that perhaps we wouldn't have been able to get without his networking contacts, etc. Um, his knowledge. Um, what worries me is that his knowledge was limited to Macclesfield Town, which I'm not being funny, but they no longer exist. That's uh, so a little bit of a worry that that's his only sort of uh, ability to press network and, and uh, his knowledge is limited to that sort of level of football and, and not a particularly long spell there either. So let's say it's fairly impossible to have a go at him because we don't know we don't know the inner workers, but we can all have a pretty good guess at who was his signings, who, who've been more likely Everett signings, i.e. Baptiste Alfonso, players that he, he already knows. Tom White, he brought in at Barrows, clearly, clearly an Everett signing. Um, Whereas Comley, for example, reeks of a Phoenix sign. Yeah, Comley, Taft, may well be, may well be Phoenix. Like we say, that graph of him being towards the top end of the, was the aero duels, one in interception, something, something along those lines. He was in the top right-hand corner, wasn't he? But he's not even been given a chance to replicate that so far. You know, Fair enough, because Delaney's on the whole played pretty well uh, at that left centre-back spot since he came to the side. So no massive complaints that Saft isn't getting a game, but he should have played on Saturday at least to keep his eye in if we need him. So, um, yeah, like I said, there's a number of Everts and a number of Phoenix signings You'd like to think that they were all agreed on between them both that that was the best player to bring in in the position at that time. But the idea is that they both work together, um, the manager and the director of football. And if Everett leaves, the idea is that the next guy who comes in should have a similar sort of strategy. That's what Samson has done higher up, you know, in the, in the Premier League. Um, loads of got loads of um, examples of directors of football, Montier, uh, Sevilla. They tend to bring in a similar type of manager who will. So they don't have to completely wipe the slate clean and 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 have the massive turnover of players that we have had in the last three or four years, mainly through circumstance rather than the lack of a director of football. But I think Phoenix's role should be to have like a philosophy, really. But it's difficult when you've got no money, you can't spend any any money on players, which not many teams in the league do spend fees anyway. But it's not. I don't think it's as important to have a director of football in League Two. With in a transfer embargo as it is to have one in the Championship or Premier League, personally, but um, it is probably not the greatest idea to entrust one guy to do all the recruitment. Um, difficult one, but like I say, Phoenix should be in sync with with Everton on what he's doing. Basically, that should be his role. 
Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's fair to say that we- we're not entirely certain on, on how it- it's transpired so far, but I think maybe it's one of those for the long haul, perhaps, rather, rather than something that's uh, going, going, you know, going, going to particularly show div- dividends right about now. Um, Was anything I- ever said about him running onto the pitch at the end of that game? After I forget what game it was. But it was the was Barrow a... one, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he, like, he that was strange, wasn't it? The ref, it? Very strange. Like that seemed a bit of an overstep of his position, and I'm surprised that we never heard anything about that. In fairness, I think to be fair that the um, spotlight was sort of on Everton at that point, wasn't it? Really, and any kind of external issues going on weren't really going to be brought to light because he obviously celebrated exuberantly, and people behind him, whoever Barrow had brought along to to give him stick, had you know, had two fingers put up in their face. So um, maybe it was fortunate for Phoenix that there was all that narrative about Everton returning to Barrow uh, that helped him out. But yeah, certainly it was a very, very strange one and perhaps an, an odd thing for someone in his position to be doing. But no, I, I thought I thought it was worth having a discussion because we've not really talked about Tobias Phoenix to this point and he's made a little, little bit of um, uh, headlines or certainly the Twitter comments of late. But the man who we discuss week upon week the man who gets all the talking even on the BBC now in Micah Richards' poorly researched articles is uh, is Ian Everett and um, I think I'll come to you on this one Reese. I've not forgotten about you don't worry I think the first thing to talk about given that we haven't had a podcast in such a long time does relate to his comments in the media uh, especially the ones about Billy Krellin um, the man up at gate or whatever even though that, for me that was blown massively out of proportion um, do you think he needs a bit of help from uh, from those around him in the media department to stop making these gaffes? Because I think week on week there is something that he says that causes a stir. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's been a single a single game or a single interview that he's done where everyone's thought, yeah, that's fine, we agree with that, let's move on. There's always something that's been criticised, whether it's saying we're dominating games when we've been beat 4-0 or whether it's just having some kind of controversial opinion over one of the players or something that happened, there's there's always something that's getting picked up on. And I think this all comes from there being no clear strategy when he was appointed in terms of promotion, promotion, promotion. And that is it. It was hammered home. Every single person believed in it. Um, you know, it was quite an exciting signing anyway, as, as it, well, an appointment as a manager. Um, especially after everyone listened to the podcast, listened to the interviews, saw what he did with Barrow. But then when he comes out and says, we're the best team in this league, we, we've got to be at the top of the league, we will be at the top of the league, everyone's going to come to us and, and they're going to want to up their game. I mean, every team that's come to us has up the game apart from us. Um, <laughs> the, oh, God. The issue that I have with it, and I, I do feel quite sorry for Ever, is he probably... He he will have known. I mean, Nigel Clough this week said for the, when he got the Mansfield job that this is not a job that we're going to get promoted overnight. This is a long-term project and we'll, we'll achieve it, but it'll take time, it'll take patience. Now, if Everton had said that, if he'd have been instructed to say that, every single person would have bought into it because this was a clean slate. So the thing is, do you, do you, do you actually think that though? Because weren't we saying at the start when, when he was being so um, overtly positive about our chance this season that we liked that attitude as well? I mean, we, we do like it, but I don't think that, um, that sort of blasé, we're going to get promoted, we're the best, was backed up with some of the recruitment. I think when we had Sarsovic, Doyle, even Delfonso, you know, we, we signed these like sort of exciting players and, and the best players in the division. As soon as we started, you know, 
we started bringing in non-league players and players we had never heard of. That's when alarm bells started ringing, thinking if we if we're meant to be only in this division for one season, we're not recruiting for that. We're recruiting sort of on a on a pretty tight budget. And if they're saying that we're we're under the salary cap, we've still got room in the budget. We're being sustainable. I mean, I'm all for being sustainable, but everyone said the number one priority was promotion. And I don't think that's been backed up. Well, I think the fact that he changed tact in terms of his season expectations in the aftermath of one of the games recently didn't help him, certainly. I mean, I, I, I think if you're going to have set your stall out in that manner, you're going to have to stick to your guns. You can't, you can't suddenly just say, actually, this might be a rebuilding job. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. He's probably right. But I don't think you can you can make such a massive U-turn in that. You know, it, it's cop- copying the government in, in that respect, and not not exactly like that's gone down particularly well. Um, yeah, I think you're exactly. I think you're exactly right. I think um, if, like I said, if if he'd have come out during preseason saying, you know, we're going to give it a go and we we want to be up there and we're going to aim to be up there, but this is a project. This is a rebuilding job. This club's been battered over the past few years, and let's you know, let's try and get some sustainability and let's start building then everyone would have bought into that because over the summer, we have never felt more positive in the last sort of 10 years as Bolton fans. Mm. We had that sort of, I'd, I said when we got relegated, I mean, it wasn't great, was it? It's not great being in League Two, but if it takes us two years to get out of and we're in, we come out in back into League One in a much better place than we're, than we're in it now, then I'm all for it. I don't, I don't care. Um, it's not like we're missing anything anyway, is it? We can't go to the games. I mean, we probably... And by the looks of things, we probably won't be going at all this season. Maybe not even next season. It's this is going to drag on. Who cares if we're? Put, I mean, I don't care if we're going playing Colchester away or bloody Shrewsbury away. Makes no difference to me. No, I mean the, the only thing I'd say on that is that I think it would make a difference to the players. I certainly feel that the fact that they're playing behind closed doors has inhibited our performance. I think one of the key strengths that we could have had this season would have been at, at home with the amount of fans that would have been through the door to be able to get behind the players, but also to kick them up the arse when they played crap. I, th- I think not having any fans there means that there's been a, they've got away with it a little bit, which is why I think they've, they've looked on Twitter and they've seen all this stuff on social media that people have been talking about, which, whichever it clearly reads. And I, th- I think maybe he was a bit naive in, in, in coming in and, and, and saying all that stuff and not expecting there to be a massive positivity train for him to then not back it up. He's, he's set himself up for a failure, really. And I, I think... Matt, I'll come to you on this. I think naivety has played a part in, in, in some of the issues that he's had this season. But also, I think he's made some rather baffling tactical decisions as well. The, the Baptiste and Brockbank situation is possibly the most weird thing I've seen happen to Bolton for a very, very long time. To cut your nose off to spite your face, to take out um, a player who was making that three-at-the-back system work a lot better, giving the team a bit of balance, and replace him with you know, a loose cannon like Baptiste. And then to put said player in a position that he's never played in before. Just beggars belief, doesn't it? It it does. And like, you know, there's there's plenty of decisions that we can focus on like that. I mean, with regards to the media strategy, I I tend to think whether a a, a junior manager, a brand new manager should almost be treated in the same way that a young player should. He's new to this job as much as an 18, 19 year old is new to the football pitch. He's going to make mistakes. You know, he doesn't know how to handle the media. You know, his one previous job was in non-league football where, you know, all, all respect to Barrow, but there's not anywhere near like the media attention that that he gets here. I mean, you know, he's got multiple fairly well-listened to podcasts. He's got multiple fan sites and blogs. 
you know, Bolton Even News obviously covers them fairly regularly on BBC. You know, he's probably never dealt with that kind of media attention as a manager. Whereas as a player, obviously, he can kind of say what he likes in interviews, sort of go on about how much he wants to win because it doesn't really impact at all. So I do feel a bit sorry for him in that respect. I feel like he has been left to sort of sink rather, sink or swim sort of environment there with the media side of things. I think obviously with the club probably struggling to have staff in because of COVID restrictions probably hasn't helped him there. But that's that, that I, so I do feel a bit from there. On the decisions, I mean, again, like I, I touched on it earlier, that I think the biggest issue he's got at the moment is his pride. I think he makes decisions about players and he, he makes decisions about formations. And and I think he takes it as a personal slight if he changes it. He can't be seen to be wrong. I, I, I thought this with with the Darcy thing where he was asked about why he wasn't playing earlier in the season. At this point, it was kind of more of a, just a curiosity rather than a, a sort of a, a request from the fans. And I almost think at that point there, Everton had kind of decided in his head, well, I'm not going to play him now just to prove I was right not to play him. And I think that's going to be a rod for his back if unless he manages to sort of get on board with that. Because I think he's done it with Krellin. I think he's done it with Darcy, which eventually he had to stop doing. Um, and, you know, this this formation we're playing, admittedly, we kind of have to play it. But I think he'll probably do it with this as well, where he, he'll, he'll cut off his nose to spy his face to make it work. I mean, ultimately, the most baffling decision for me has been the defensive ones. The, the Baptiste one, I remember... I think we were saying about it in the chat about Baptiste and I sort of said, there's no way he can play another game, you know, two games in a row. And someone sort of said, oh, Baptiste himself said, you know, he can't play more than once a week. He's just here to fill fill the gaps. And at this point, he's played how many games in a row now? Six, six, seven, six games in 19 days. Six games in 19 days, having played four in the previous two years at the age of 34. I mean, it's it's baffling. It's, All I'll it's, say is, in fairness, I don't think he's actually been as bad as I thought he would have been. No, but I would no. not be playing him, but I wouldn't be playing him. That's the, no, that's exactly. The I mean, I'm, in fairness to Baptiste, he does get a lot of stick, mainly, I think, because of his previous time here. He hasn't been awful, but by the same token, it, it's it's insane. And it's it's insane that a player who's played that little football at Baptiste's age is being asked to play that amount of games in that amount of time when we've got a heavily stacked centre-back department with... You know, Taft, who's a proven quantity in this league, who we know can do the job. And, you know, we've got Brockbank, who, as you sort of said, has done that job fantastically well. We've got two left wing backs and we've got Kyoso, who I imagine would do a job on left on the left wing back with Hickman going in the right. And it's, like I said, I think it's a pride thing that he really needs to get over quickly because he needs to start making decisions quicker and I think that links into his lack of substitutes as well. I don't think he likes to admit that his first team was wrong. Just very quickly, Matt, do you think there's any kind of argument for him playing Baptiste because there's some kind of pre-existing relationship there? Not not a nepotism kind of thing at all, but in terms of the fact that he trusts him because he's an old hand and maybe that that's blinding him a little bit to not seeing that there could be a better option there? I mean, I, I do think it is a bit of jobs for the boys, actually. Um, you know, I understand um, getting... Uh, Dolphin is doing, yeah, that's a smart signing. But the fact that Matt Gilks came in as goalkeeping coach, uh, despite the fact that it's rumoured that you know Juicy Juicy wanted it, I know for a fact that Fred Barber wanted it, um, and to me that's a strange appointment there that we're bringing someone like that in when we had those kind of two sort of very big names in goalkeeping who also wanted to come in. You know, Baptiste playing every week and. 
and sort of Gilk's been given the the free reign to essentially pick our first choice goalkeeper. It, it it just it does it does feel a bit jobs to the boys for me. The fact that these guys seem to get constant starts, whereas the ones who maybe aren't his boys are sort of falling by the wayside a bit. Yeah, fair enough. You've done me a favour there because I was thinking the exact same thing, but it's a lot easier the fact that you said it instead. Um, so thank you for that, Matt. You dug me out of a hole. Um, Lee, I'm going to come to you on, a, on another aspect of Everett's management that I think um, we need to discuss. I think it's I think poor motivational skills and poor man management are, are something that's been a big issue thus far this season. Um, does it surprise you that he doesn't seem to know how to get the best out of his players or, or even admitted in the aftermath of the Leighton Orient game that he knew beforehand that he couldn't get the best out of them on that day? I think that comment surprised a lot of people, didn't it? When when he said that, um, it's very rare you, you get someone talking so candidly about it. Whether he understood the sort of the gravitas of what he was saying there when he said it, that's probably a different question. Did he realise what he was essentially admitting, or was he just talking about as if he was talking amongst his colleagues about? <laughs> about what he thought previously. Well, this is a key point that we've been saying, isn't it? I don't, I don't think he knows how to handle the media at all. Well, we talked about this. I think last time I was on was around the uh, manager appointments and we talked at length about what I believe was the undoing of Keith Hill, which was he didn't understand that it was right that he would be under more scrutiny as Bolton manager. And he, he seemed to uh, take real issue with the fact that what he would say would be held against him later down the line because there's an added level of scrutiny when you're bottom wanderers manager than in that case Rochdale or, or in this case Barrow. I'd I'd like to think that Everett will learn and and I know we've talked about his stubbornness. I don't think there's many managers that aren't stubborn. I think that, that comes with the territory. I think you've got to be strong and you've got to be decisive with the decisions that you make. Obviously you want to be able to do what's best in terms of winning football matches, but you have to stand by your decisions. You can't flip-flop every single week, depending on who's playing well, who's playing badly. Um, what In terms of management motivation, I, I talked earlier about Gordon. I'd like to see how that develops. I think it's still early forever. I'm not completely definitive in, in any opinion of him at the moment. I was surprised and excited when we actually got ever if i'm being honest i didn't think that would happen i think the, la- the last time i was on the pod i think we all sort of unanimously agreed that we wanted ever or low i was surprised that that actually materialized and it wasn't very much longer yeah me we too i was expecting a stephen reed or something like that to be honest with you yeah i, I mean I-, I think i said boyer if i, I felt that was our re- realistic shout that i had at that point mm-hmm. um so i think i'd like to give this longer I'd like to see him try and turn it around. The man management side of things, I mean, let's see about that. I, I think he probably thought this would be easier than what it is. In terms of the Baptiste situation, I think as much as that's maybe favouritism, I think it's a, I think it's how circumstances dictated it. I, I think Taft didn't perform to begin with. Yeah, you would probably would have given him a shot in the crew game. I completely agree with Lee there. Um, it seems silly not to, really. For the same reasons when we talked about Alexander earlier, why, why would you not want to do that? So the yeah, I, I think it's too early to say. If I'm being honest, and I appreciate that may sound like I'm sitting on the fence, but let's see how we react to this particularly poor run of form that we're in. Not let's sure. see. I think by mid to late December, 
will have a really good answer to that question. I, I have no shame admitting in admitting, and you, you guys already know listeners won't do and Liam, you can't you kind of agree with me a little bit. Um that in when we went one nil down in the Mansfield game, having seen how awful we were and the, the coming out after half time and just the, the the stupidity of the of the decisions to, of who he was playing and the, the tactics that he seemed to have given them and the lack of kick up the arse they'd been given to try and push on and get something in that game. I, I, I was firmly in the camp of I want this bloke out because I, I, I genuinely thought that from that point onwards, definition of insanity has been banded around quite a lot in, in, in Bolton forums and whatever and podcasts and stuff uh, because it is exactly what it seemed to be with Ian Everett. It seemed to be that he was doing the same thing over and over again and not understanding that you were not going to get any different results with that. And that's why in during the Mansfield game, I think it was probably a hot take, as they say, I, I, I was definitely in the camp of wanting wanting rid of him. I'm, I've calmed down a little bit now on that front, but I just think there's, there's so many... There's so many d- d- key issues and there's not an awful lot of good points that I've seen so far. I think that's my, my biggest problem. I, l- I look at it and see, and we've talked about Taft there. Yes, he underperformed in the games that we've seen him play, but he's just been so unceremoniously dropped out of it, as has Greenwich, as had, um, uh, sorry, as has Comley now. And you saw it with Darcy towards the start. I, I, I think in t- what I mean in terms of motivation and the poor motivational skills we've shown you've got to keep these people interested because they could at some point bail you out of a hole. And I think he's almost, you know, mid, not even midway through November, he set his stall out of who he's going to be trying to offload in the January window. And we're not exactly famous for keeping our players fit for most of the time. He could be stuck in a hole where he needs the likes of George Taft or Reese Greenwich to bail him out of a hole. I think what and I will if say, I were them, Tom, I wouldn't want to. Tom, if I may, I think you touched on something that's quite good. Now, I thought about it earlier, but sort of the moment slipped. It's quite staggering in that sequence of games that we've had over the last two or three weeks, just how little rotation has been across the full team. Mm. Very little. And it is staggering, really. I don't think it's helped us. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think two of the key performers have been Santos and Delaney, and therefore to shove Taft in or Greenwich in would be counterproductive. But you've seen how, with Delaney in particular, I think Santos has been relatively consistent, but Delaney, despite being superb in some games and very, very poor, he's been very poor in others. So maybe in that later Orient game when he had a bit of a stinker, it would have been much better if we'd have had an option of Taft or Greenwich to come in and fill that role and give him a bit of a break. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you, what you guys think. I, I just think from a man, management point of view, I don't think Phil Parkinson was brilliant with it, but I certainly think he was a lot better than ever with it. I, I do think he'll learn. I mean, I'm, st- I'm still positive about him. I think, again, young manager, he's learning first time in league football. I the, the the squad rotation thing really does need work because, like I said, I, I even just in terms of being able to draft players in and them to give the other players a shot of the arm, we're not we're not offering anyone that chance at the moment. But I do think, in terms of positives, I am seeing we are playing better football than we were at the start of the season. I do think the brand he's trying to play is ambitious, and I do think, yeah, if you take the media hype that came with him aside it was always going to be a long-term plan it was always going to be a one season of rebuilding maybe try it again next year and you know I think give him another couple of windows and a bit more time to learn the, the ins and outs of man management at this level and I think he will be he will come good for us and like I'm quite happy to have him around even if we you know so long as we just stay up this year but the squad rotation thing and the the the, the poor substitutions really kind of has to, has to change quite rapidly, I think, to, to keep people on side. 
Yeah, I agree. I think the poor substitutions thing is something we could go into, but um, I'm conscious that you know we, we, we've done a fairly comprehensive discussion of it. Lee, the la- the last thing that I'll, I'll I'll talk about with Ever is um, whether you think that there is any kind of serious pressure that he's under, or whether the fact that we sort of paid quite a lot of money for him uh, in terms of compensation means that he's untouchable for a season at least. Yeah, I think it looks that way, doesn't it? Um, I mean, it's quite worrying that 250 grand is considered a lot of money for a season. <laughs> like bottom under well, well, I'll tell you what, just, just before you keep going, sorry <laughs> to interrupt, but the, the thing that sort of really right. rammed it home to me about, about where we are is, um, I think it was my dad that said it to me, we've just taken a bloke on loan from Luton Town Who's probably one of the better players in our first team, and we used to, you know, sign Yuri Jorkia for Nicholas and Elka, and it's right—it's ra- rather sad to see what we've come to at that point. Which, so as you're right, two hundred fifty grand seems a lot of money now, but it certainly wouldn't have been back in the heady days when I started supporting this club. Yeah, very true. Um, but yeah, like I say, it's the world—it's <clears throat> the world we live in. Well, the world wonders live in anyway. So yeah, we've we've had to pay a bit of compensation to to get him out of Barrow, and I'm ninety percent of what he says, I agree with it, and I. Obviously, I people always highlight the, the nonsense, like um, yes, after match, after match, um, post match, pre match interviews. They mean nothing. They, they mean nothing if the results are going going well. Um, when the results aren't going well, they get scrutinised ten times as much, twenty times as much. And then when Crowley saved that penalty against Bradford, he I knew it was written in the stars. He was outstanding. That was as far from an outstanding goalkeeping performance that I've ever seen. <laughs> um, it was, you know, honestly, he, he saved the penalty, and the rest of the time had me terrified. Was, well, the second, well, the first half we dominated. They didn't touch us with, a, they didn't play like, us. Second half, um, they bombarded us, and to say he was under a lot of pressure, and his, his teammates didn't help him. But anyway, I don't want to go into that, and I'll go off on the tangent again as I'm uh, liable to do. But you know, at the end of the day, he said some nonsense like we dominated a game and. We dominated that game at three to four nil down at late Norwich. Well, yeah, because they don't give a shit what what goes on after four nil. They won the game. And we, yeah, Darcy might be pop, popping balls about in the middle of the pitch for five minutes in a row. We're still not late. We're still not had a shot on target against them. You know, some of the things he's come out with are, are barely believable. But ninety percent of what he says, I agree with. He, he's he's right to come out now and pretty much temper expectations because. Although the playoffs aren't that far away, and three wins out of four or three wins in five will actually see us perhaps only two or three points outside. And I think the playoffs, because there's seven, it goes down to seven um, in this division, is it's still achievable because it is. Um, it's still achievable even if we're in 17th, 18th by Christmas, it's still achievable because there's going to be 20, 25 games left, roughly. So we can't write the season off, nor should we. But I think. He's right to probably temper it. It's, it's really difficult. He really, can't come out before the season starts and sound negative. He absolutely can't. Did, was he too bullish? Yeah, he was. But only in hindsight. Were we loving his bullishness at the start? Of course we were. We, we're Bolton Wanderers. We should, be, we should be winning this league. He's right. But Carlisle has done a much better job as getting, I think, I think they've got 16 new players in pre- I think they're the only other side who've had such a big turnover as us. Maybe there might be somewhere else, but I think Carlisle was, was quoted as one of the other sides who've had as big a turnover of players in the record. There's some sort of percentage graph or something like so on Twitter. And um, there, I think they're fifth. They're, they're playing some good stuff. They've got a couple of 
decent sort of forward forward players, Jimmy Torrey and a couple of others who really hit the ground running. It's always going to be difficult bedding in that many players and perhaps he should have gone with the um, the message that it was going to take time and gone back to what happened with Barrow. Um, but like, you don't want to you don't want to say oh the first ten games are going to be shit we're going to lose six of them you know like you you, you can't give that message out. You, I don't think you can really blame him for what he said before the start of the season. I don't quite a lot of things that have happened have been a bit unfortunate. I'm I'm more than happy to stick with him. I don't think we've I don't think there's anyone else out there who would take us on and do a much better job. Um, all right, Nigel Clough. I think he just likes jobs in Nottingham. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to have a more than a thirty minute commute, seemingly, does he? Um, he's managed every club in Nottingham, Nottingham area going pretty much now, but um, or East Midlands. But yeah, he would have been a great he would have been a great choice in the summer, Nigel Clough. But I don't, I don't agreed. Think it was his, his bag really. Um, I think he's a championship manager at least um, quality level. But um, yeah, <laughs> does it matter if we finish? If we finish twenty first or we finish ninth? Does it matter? No, it doesn't. It doesn't really. If we get, if great, if we can have a go at the players and we finish ninth, brilliant. That gives us more positive vibes going into next season. Of course, it does. Um, finishing towards the bottom would give us, you know, a bit of a, a negative summer. Thinking, you know, bloody hell, you know, we we finished twentieth last season. What the hell has gone on? But we're not going to get relegated. Scunthorpe and Southend are dire. Um, They'll so still beat us. It, it, uh, probably, probably, yeah. Brandon Goodship will probably get a couple of them or whatever. Or, yeah. But it's just, um, it's hard to say that at this moment in time whether whether he's going to be a good appointment long term, whether he's been a good appointment. Clearly at the moment, we're, we're, we're delivering well below what we expected. But it is very early. Is it 11 games we played or 10? 10 or 11. It's very, it is very early. We need to judge him after maybe 30 games with with a brand new team. Uh, I think it will get better. I think there's um, promising a lot what we do. I think we need to pretty much almost be perfect in our attacking play to score a goal. Uh, a lot of the goals we score are very good, um, which is it's encouraging. I don't see scoring many scrappy efforts. Uh, all right, second goal, second goal against Crew was a little bit scrappy, wasn't it? And sometimes I was there in the right position to, to steer it in. But when we do tend to score a goal, it tends to be a pretty good goal, actually. It's encouraging and discouraging in the same sort of um, breath, really, because we're not really scoring like a header from a corner or like a scrappy, like a pinball in the box. Maybe start switching against Barrow, the equaliser, a bit of a pinball. But it tends to be that we, we, we're looking for the perfect goal. And perhaps he's, Ebert said in his, some of his interviews recently that he's looking... He's, he's mentioned about we need to play where in the right places and he's sort of changing his philosophy and changing the message he's putting out there about what we need to do and perhaps he's realising you know the ideal way of playing that he's had in his head to get us out of this division perhaps with the personnel he's recruited and, and the way that they're playing the confidence levels they've got it isn't quite working and we need to have a plan B a bit more of a plan B uh, you can have conviction in your ideas, but you've also got our flexibility in in you as well. And um, I think he, I think he's intelligent enough to to, to realise that. And I don't think we're going to finish where where we are. I don't think we're going to get in the playoffs or promoted. I think we'll be I think we'll be mid table, fourteenth, fifteenth. And I think that's of course it's underwhelming, but it's equally 
Um, it's not a disaster. It's not a disaster. Anyway, I'll stop ranting. Nice, no, right? Well, some well summarised. I think. Um, yeah, I think unless anyone's got any more pressing thoughts on on Ian Everton, the managerial situation, I think that was all that I had listed down for for discussion. If, I if, think if I yeah, can go just on, go on, chime, go on, chime sure. in there, you know, in, sure, mate. Um, in four games time, we could be looking at this league table, thinking something completely different. You know, we've got yeah, we've got Salford on Friday, which will be tough. That's got possibly the best narrative that a, a Bolt Wanderers game has got for years, uh, especially on TV with Wellens coming in and the players that are now at Salford, which could have been with us this season and so on and so forth. But after that, we've got Scunthorpe, Stevenage and um, is it Southend. They are the so, three... Someone decided to put the fixtures in alphabetical order, didn't they? They are the three worst teams in this division, bar us. But <laughs> oh, they, are, they are atrocious. And if we cannot beat them, you know, that's there's something wrong if we can't beat them. But you give us nine points, and like we said, then that puts us up just outside the playoffs. God, I think um, I think that more than anything, Reese, I think it just rams home how crap this division is. Exactly, it is terrible. But and I don't want to sound like ever here, and I am going to sound exactly like him. But <laughs> of the eleven games we've had this season in the league, realistically, there's only probably three or four of them that we actually should have lost. The the rest, and I'm not saying we've dominated games. I'm saying that the team we've played against were terrible and we were just equally as bad on the day. But Leighton Orient weren't better than us. They took their chances and took scored some pretty poor goals. Um, Colchester definitely should have beaten us. I think Forest Green showed us exactly what a sturdy League 2 team looked like. And the team that had blown me away this season, Newport, I thought Newport were brilliant and I fully expect them to be at the top of the division and that's exactly where they're sitting now. But the rest of like the other the only other defeat we've had outside of them is is Oldham and Oldham shouldn't have beaten us on the day. We should have taken more points away at Cambridge. Cambridge didn't have a sniff other than Krellin's horror punch. Um, Bradford second half, yeah, they were they came at us, but that first half we should have probably put four or five past them. Every single game this season, I've I've said at one point at least during the game these are terrible, and it's all about how we perform. It's oh, not. We could, we could do with starting performing, then, can't we, Ren? Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. But and I think, I think Everton knows now who's in his plans and who's not. It's it's the hardest thing in the world was going to be recruitment this summer because he they didn't really have a proper preseason in terms of what they could and couldn't do. Um, he's had his time to now look at the squad over that first, I don't know, fourteen games in all competitions or whatever it's been, fifteen games. Give him till January. Let's see what he does in January. Because there'll be a hell of a lot of players that are shipped out of this team. And there'll be some, I think there'll be some decent ones that come in to replace them. Because there's some players that aren't getting any, a sniff of football across across all sort of three or four divisions which need game time. And they're going to be fighting for their careers in January. And if they can't come in in January and want to play, then that's a, that's a problem with the player. Um, you look at the, the signings Keith Hill did last January. And that was sort of the signs of a man that knew wasn't going to be in a job, knew he'd, he'd kind of given up. And Phoenix's sort of responsibility and, and Keith Hill's sort of demotion was starting to prove itself. I know, like, not, not re-signing Chickson, bringing in Fleming, and then sort of giving Buckley a contract, which, I mean, I 
kind of agreed with, but then it was just Soslaw that he got such a bad injury. You know, it's also I telling think, that he's not found a club since. Yeah, exactly. Um, but January for me is going to be, you know, we, we could be in the playoffs in January, but we could also be rock bottom of the league. There's no predicting it because it's all how these players motivate themselves to perform. If we played every single game this season like the way we started against Bradford, we would be in the to- easily in the top six because we were superb. The problem is it's not happening consistently enough. No, I, th- I think I think the thing that encapsulates the League Two situation is the fact that uh, we had Mark on the preview pod, who you know kind of inexplicably said that he thought Southampton was going to be towards the top of the league, which I think we all, we all laughed at him for that. And so I think we can sort of pass ourselves on the back for that one. But he also said he would judge Bolton's season by the results that they got against Mansfield and Salford. And as we've seen, Mansfield have been nothing but short and dire. Um, just as a very, very short preview before we wrap this pod up, because I'm conscious that we've been going for almost two hours now, which I think is a very, very thorough discussion. It kind of makes up for the lack of uh, output over the last month or so. Um, is this game going to define our season, do you think? Liam, I'll come to you first. Um, No. No, I, I don't think so. I... I kind of found myself agreeing with Lee that it's sort of looking like a building season already. Um, We'd need to go on a some run, I think, for it to start talking about games defining seasons now. I think it'll be be an interesting game and it'll be interesting to see sort of what the wider football world, well, that's interested in watching League 2 football on a Friday night, will think of us and where we are. I'm intrigued to see that. Um, I think if so forgive us a bit of a hiding. You might see a bit of a reaction on social media, I think, particularly being on Sky. I think people will be a bit more sort of wound up Friday night, probably had a little bit to drink as well. So it, it, I think a, a heavy defeat might might feel that way. But I think everything will just calm down and we'll sort of just continue the way things are and slowly building, like Lee says. It's hard to disagree with anything that, that he said there, really. Um, I mean, if we win well, then we'll probably win every single game for the rest of the season and <laughs> then have simultaneous promotions until we eventually go to Europe again. But <laughs> Well, that's where I we think... were at at the start of this, if you remember. We thought, you know, what's the ruling on if we get promoted by Christmas? Can we then go and play in League One for half a season? Uh, it, it, it seems very, uh, feel very naive about all that now. Um, but it was... It was part of the sales pitch. We sold 8,000 season tickets, don't forget. Um, I bet they can't so, believe they did that, by the way. <laughs> well, I can. We talk about pissing the league and slowly announcing every transfer like it was a massive announcement. It was... But the, it was... the, the thing is, though, if, if, I, if I'm Sharon Britton and you know the, the Britton family and who are the, all the people who generally have a stake in, in, in Bolton Wanderers, I would have been, you know, with, with as much as I'm sure they're very, very lovely people and that's what everyone says about them, I would have been looking from side to side when I'm seeing all this money, this capital come in as a result of all these people buying season tickets for a season. They kind of already had a hunch that they were never going to be in that stadium and thought, what a bunch of morons. And yet I'm a moron. I'm, I did it. And I'm sure many of you did it. It's just... I mean, don't get me wrong. I think I think it's very, very good what we've done. I think I think it's benefited to the club in quite a lot of ways. But we were sold the dream. We bought it hook, line, and sinker, and it looks a bit silly now. I, I think I think we want. I think we wanted to believe that it was all going to be all right. And I think let's be honest as well. It, it, things are relatively secure, aren't they? You know, we're not we're not sat here talking. Wood. Touch wood. Well, well, touch wood. I mean, yeah, of course, but it, it feels like everything's okay a little bit, and 
we're, we're talking about football relatively. You know, you've got a lot of clubs that are, are worried about their situation. We know, we know what that feels like. It, it feels like things are back still, I would say. You know, it, football. it's... The football's shite, but at least we're talking about it. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I still can't believe that the government is classing this as elite football, to be honest. <laughs> it's <laughs> fucking tragic. That, that, the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the last game was, was, was such a tough watch. Um, such, a, such a tough watch. Yeah, I also, today I was calling this elite, but... Yeah, I, I also think it's, it is hard to watch, I think. Sitting watching at home, I think it. Oh, I, I, but at the same time, I'm glad it's there because lockdown is it, it is tough. So it, it is providing a lot of people something to look forward. Well, a bit of structure on a Saturday. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a better way of phrasing. Yeah. It just makes me want to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> So we're supposed to be transmitting some kind of positive vibes, and you know, having having an. Well, don't get me wrong; we can provide an insightful uh, conversation about bottles of We're going to smash yeah. those Salford bastards. Exactly. Someone clip that. Exactly. We 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 can provide you know some insightful conversation into Baltimore. What we cannot provide you, dear listeners, is anything but realism. And the realism is, we have no idea what we're going to be like. We think most of the time that we garbage and we talk about the thing is what i would love is have like a little fly on the wall kind of thing and just one lucky listener gets to come sit in the chat for a day and see how much sh- shit we chat about bolton it's mediocrity with flashes of brilliance and then mediocrity <laughs> for the rest of in adding finishing phase yeah we're gonna fucking beat Salford. brilliant i think that's the best way of finishing it to be honest with you boys i'm sorry yeah, if, okay. sorry if i'm not yeah. I'm not taking the mic genuinely. I, th- I, th- I don't think we can get much better than that. I think you know, th- 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 there's we've got Eddie for preview podcasts and whatever. That's not really re- my remit. But I think in terms of you know finishing it properly, this podcast because I think it's been a very very thorough discussion, a very insightful discussion. Um, I'll come around you. Yeah, do, would you want to, Matt? I was going to come to you for a score prediction before you finish it with there with a oh, flourish. Do that. Do that then. Do that. Uh, that's all right. Okay, so I'll go around and then I'll come to you lastly because I'm, I'm I'm expecting big things from you, um, Matt. Go for you first. Score prediction for Friday, please. Um, I think we're getting beat three 0 To be honest. <laughs> God. <laughs> God. Right. Okay, Matt. I'm coming to you again. What are we going to happen on Friday? <laughs> We're getting beat three now. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. You're not coming back on. Uh, moving on. Reese, what do you think is going to happen on Friday? Um, I mean, the last time Bolton were on TV, it, it was that horrendous, boring nil-nil against Blackpool, weren't it? It was a um, Jack Hobbs masterclass, one of a word said against it. Yeah, is that the game that Bridcut got, uh, got practically assaulted yeah. by? Uh, that yeah, I loved that. That was, that was my favourite part of the game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Part of me, part of me thinks we might be in for another nil-nil, but the other part of me, like Matt, thinks we're going to get absolutely battered. I mean, so, okay, well, what, what are you going for? You have to pick head over heart. Four-nil Salford. On the fence there, yeah, nil-nil or four-nil Salford. Yeah, that's the way. It, I can't see us winning. I, I want us to. I want us to get a, get something from it, but. Their their front four, front five, whatever it could possibly be, frightens the life out of me. They've signed George Boyd. I thought Charlie White was unbelievable for Crew. 
George Boyd against Alex Baptiste. Charlie, Charlie White's a big donkey. Yeah, I was waiting on Lee to correct me, actually. I'm surprised he's not coming. <laughs> yeah. Because he keeps muting himself. Yeah. But, yeah, I think George Boyd is... I mean, he played 90 minutes, didn't he, in midweek, I think. Or he definitely started for him. He's coming back into full fitness. They've got Ash Hunter, Ian Henderson. I'm just not looking forward to it, mate. <laughs> Fair enough. I can't, I can't can't argue with that. You know, you presented your findings fairly accurately there. Um, Liam, any more optimism? Um, I, one all, one all. Let's go hey. one all. <laughs> That's what we like to it. Uh, and Lee with a flourish. Oh God. Um, yeah, I think uh, four IPAs deep has uh, given me a bit of bit of juice, bit of a uh, bit of optimism in my soul. Billy Trelling's going to save three penalties, all for me and Henderson. The first ever player to miss three penalties in one game. It's going to go all over. The stats are going to go all over Twitter. Santos is going to score from 30 yards. He'll stride forward like Sol Campbell against Argentina. Oh, whoever that was against. And he'll smash one in from 25 yards. Then we'll uh, round the keeper and put it in uh, in the far corner for 2-0. Then uh, Doyle will or a header from uh, an Ali Crawford corner that beats the first man for once. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'll wake up and look at the scoreboard and it'll say Bolton nil, Salford 4. Like Reese I was writing all of that down because I'm going to put it in as a request about to Sky. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to... Uh, there's no reason why we can't... They're not that great. They've got a new manager who's trying to implement new ideas. Um... Are they ninth in the league? They've not been doing that well. They've been doing better away, admittedly. But putting my putting my optimistic head on, can we beat them? Can we beat Salford at home? Fucking hell! Yeah, of course we can. Of course right, we can. can. Felling can pull something out of the bag and, and have a better game. Can he? I don't think so. But you know, he, he can. It's possible. It's not impossible. So yeah, let's say. We will beat them 2 1 somehow by hook or by crook. We'll have a, a crazy last 10 minutes where they've nearly scored eight times, but we managed to beat them 2 1. Yeah, I'd call that a classic Bolton result. Come on, let's beat, come on, let's turn them over. Absolutely. I think a classic Bolton result has always been for me. We go 2 0 up and then concede straight after we've gone 2 0 up and then for the last 20 minutes defend for our lives. And uh, to be honest exactly. with you, I'd enjoy watching that. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the 2 1 as well. Doyle and Delfonso. Yeah, at the end of the game. Sorry, Sam. No, it's all right, mate. It's all right. We're gonna we'll do like a Twitter Twitter rant, right? Oscar Threlkeld, Jason Lowe, Jordan Turnbull. Your boy took one hell of a beating, like that Norwegian commentator, the manufacturer in the eighties. That would be nice, wouldn't it? There there is a bit of a narrative there, isn't there, with all these ex-Bolton players and whatever signings. Um, so yeah, no, I think we can. I, I'm looking forward to the game personally. I need, I need something like this to, to brighten up my week or, or dash it down. You know, it's going di- to. I mean, I'm going to be getting drunk either way. I'm sure most of you are all in the exact same same spot as me. Um, but no, I think I think that's a natural conclusion, boys. Thank you very much for for your time. I know it's been two hours almost. Um, so, like I said, very very thorough discussion about all the issues at Bolton Wanderers and trying to, you know. Chew the fat, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and come up with a hey, maybe solutions, maybe what, maybe not. But I think, like I say, very thorough. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for listening to episode 153 of the Line of the Street podcast, and we'll hopefully speak to you a lot sooner 
than we did before. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.